0: Hello and welcome to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host Tyler Brondike, and today I'm joined with Justin Briarly, who is a broadcaster, writer, speaker, and the host of Unbelievable and Ask Nt Write Anything on Premier Insight. So stay tuned. Hello and welcome back to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host Tyler Brondike, and thank you for tuning in today. Very excited to welcome Justin Brierly, who is a broadcaster, writer, speaker, and host of Unbelievable and Ask N.T. Write Anything. I always think it's funny. Broadcasting seems like a British term. I don't know if I've, if I've heard that before in uh, the United States, but nonetheless, you, um, you got it. Uh, Justin's coming over from the United Kingdom and um, is exciting. He uh, shares a lot about his podcasting, broadcasting, communications background and how his faith has become a part of this journey in hosting a platform where Christians and non-Christians, in fact, atheists, um, really debate and have conversation and dialogue, where he plays the role as a mediator and helps to encourage um, good conversation and ideas. Um, We discuss a little bit more about just the work of apologetics, and he has a book as well, Unbelievable, why after 10 years of talking to atheists, I am still a Christian, um, which has been available and he's going to be releasing a new book in 2023. So we talk about a whole lot about culture, uh, politics, social landscape, the public square and belief and just at at its core. And so look forward to this conversation and certainly know that you will enjoy as well. One last thing before we jump into this podcast conversation, if you are stumbling upon this podcast or someone shared it with you and you're looking to stay up to date with the latest podcast episodes, um, all the news that we're sharing as well, we'd like to hear from you. Any guests you'd like to see on the podcast, any conversations of interest or topics um, that you'd like to hear more about, we'd love to hear from you as well. The way to do so is by subscribing to our newsletter. If you go to theguyslikeus.com and you scroll to the bottom, you can fill out your information. Thank you so much. Justin, uh, normally you're the one who is interviewing and, uh, and bringing on guests, but we, we're flipping it around today. And so welcome. Uh, so glad to have you.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a delight to be with you. Thanks for the invitation, Tyler.
0: And certainly. And so I don't. I've uh, connected with some folks from your neck of the woods uh, in the past, but you know, for the most part, a lot of the the guests and listeners are based here in the United States. But I know just this next week we're recording in November, and so there's the United States has fallen into the same group as the as England for the World Cup, and so I didn't know yes. if you had any initial thoughts or reactions if you're if you follow football or what your what your thoughts are on that.
1: Well. All, all I know is that all friendship will go out the window between us on that <laughs> particular day. And, you know, it, it'll be all about winning. It'll be all all about back to the, sure. you know, the Battle of Independence and oh, all of yeah. those sorts of things. Sure. Uh, I'm sure I, to be honest, I'm not a huge follower of the football, though. Okay. I will be trying to kind of, yeah keep an eye on how England are doing sure. funnily enough our, our organization premier do a sort of sweepstake each year just for fun you know everyone puts a pound in and gets sure. um, a team draws a team from the world cup um, uh, when it happens and I happen to draw England this year so uh, so I am actually invested in, in England doing well <laughs> for that reason surely for our uh, economic gain that is the yeah <laughs> <Clearly. the, the
0: laughs> Um, well, thank you, and um, we would love to hear. As I noted, you know, you're, you've been involved in podcasting, media, communication, and you know, writing as well, and so all forms. And so, just wanted to know how you got into this field and industry, and then also, you know, how your your faith background and how these kind of became mm-hmm. an inter- intersection point for you.
1: Yeah, I I've started my unbelievable show about believe it or not seventeen years ago, and that was really a way of me trying to help Christians, because it started just on a Christian radio station here in the UK, mm-hmm. helping Christians to understand their faith and uh, have better conversations with their non-Christian friends and neighbours and family. But it, it quickly became something where which was really a meeting ground between Christians and non-Christians, because mm-hmm. uh, the format of the show is that, you know, quite often it will be a Christian and a non-Christian that I'm bringing on opposite each other. Mm-hmm. And then increasingly... Once we started podcasting, we were quite early adopters of podcasting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found that a lot of non-Christians started listening because some of their, you know, key people were being featured on the show. So every time I'd have a significant atheist voice on the show, mm-hmm. I'd pick up, mm-hmm. you know, quite a few atheist listeners along the way. So mm-hmm. so it gradually became this, yeah, this really interesting this place where, where we would have these uh, good faith dialogues between mm-hmm. Christians and non-Christians, and then that's obviously gone on to include video um, on our YouTube channel and many other things besides. So mm-hmm. an annual conference, live events, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, and a special sort of series sure. called the big conversation that we also broadcast from unbelievable, where we bring some of the biggest names, mm-hmm. uh, in mm-hmm. faith philosophy and science together to, to debate issues. So it's been an exciting mm-hmm. journey mm-hmm. and I am a Christian and I don't hide that on the show, but, uh, it does require me to to try and take as far as possible in those kinds of discussions, a neutral stance and not necessarily Mm. just as, you know, make the assumption that the listeners are Christian or Mm. that, you know, the Christian has to win every debate that there's a sort of, you know, I'm I'm trying to create a a kind of an honest kind of neutral atmosphere for both sides to feel like they've had a fair crack of the whip and um, and yeah. And it's been, it's been an absolute privilege and delight Mm -hmm, to do it. mm -hmm. So that's that's been a great experience for me. Um, I've really learned a lot along the way. Um, I guess I I got into broadcasting because I, I have a bit of a theatrical leanings, um, mm-hmm. and you know those came out when I was in university and so on. Mm-hmm. But broadcasting was a great way of being able to express that and be able to join it with my Christian faith mm-hmm. by doing it in this format. So mm-hmm. so yeah, it's been it's been an exciting seventeen years.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. And that's very helpful. And I know, you know, some listeners may be familiar. If if not, by the end, they'll certainly get to know you a bit more. And um, as you mentioned, you have dialogue spaces. And I I think that's fantastic of between a Christian and a non-Christian or um, and, you know, competing ideas, worldviews. And so after these 17 years, what are some of the biggest reasons Christian or, you know, or folks who have then recently come to faith? why they believe what are the kind of the big ones that stick out
1: yeah uh, i mean it's great whenever i receive uh, a message from someone for whom the show has been part of their faith journey uh, it's it's always a wonderful thing i mean inevitably it's not it's not like it's all one-way traffic you know people are all mm-hmm. on different journeys and so mm-hmm. i sometimes receive emails from people saying oh you know i was on I, i've been losing my faith and your show didn't kind of convince me to to turn back to faith but but mm-hmm. actually, I receive a lot of, of you know, uh, messages from people who mm. who have found it a helpful way towards faith. Frequently, you know, the types of people inevitably who listen to the show because it deals with apologetics and evidence and reason that people who have intellectual questions and want to to uh, have answers to some of those questions. Um, mm-hmm. Frequently, it's people who are on a kind of search for meaning uh, mm-hmm. in some form Um so there's just a few few examples I could mention. I mm-hmm. um, had a lovely story from Nico recently who mm-hmm. who got in touch to say that he had been, he, though he'd been raised in a kind of nominally Catholic background, he, mm-hmm. you know, none of that stuck. And he was a really devout atheist, really, by the time he went to university. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he he described working in a bookstore and being glad to see in this bookstore that the... Bibles were in the mythology section of the of the bookstore, and he, you know, he thought that was the best place for him. He was very influenced by the new atheists at this time Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so on. Um, And and then he says, uh, you know, and it's always, I think, a variety of things that influence people. It's never just my show. But he said he um, he he got married after going to law school with his wife and they decided to try for a child, but it turned out to be harder than they thought um, to conceive. but he, he decided that whenever this child got born, if they got born, he, mm. he didn't want to just force his atheism on this child. He wanted them to kind of make that decision for themselves. But, mm. but he did think, well, maybe I should look into re- Christ- Christianity or religion one more time. Mm. Um, so so he decided he would sort of try to educate himself a bit more. And, mm. and he started listening to podcasts and he bumped into the Unbelievable podcast. And uh, he says that it very quickly suddenly opened up to him. A realization that there was a lot more to Christianity than he'd realized before. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, he would have been hearing both sides of the Mm debates, you know, because we have some of the leading atheists as well as leading Christian thinkers on the show. Mm -hmm. But for whatever reason for Nico, it, it was, you know, it kind of suddenly woke him up to the fact that there were these philosophical intellectual arguments for Christianity that were far better than anything he'd realized in the past. Um, And he got really into it. And, um, he particularly became engaged with Dr. Peter Kreeft, who's a sort of Catholic apologist who had been on the show. Mm-hmm. And his wife noticed one day in the bargain bucket of a bookstore, um, a book by Kreeft and, and gave it to him. And he started reading that and actually started uh, struck up an email correspondence mm-hmm. with Dr. Kreeft. Mm-hmm. And that, all of these things led him to eventually realize he couldn't sustain his atheism anymore. And, mm-hmm. and he became a Christian. Mm-hmm and um, but it's lovely when you hear stories like that Uh, Mm -hmm. and the good news is as well that they they did conceive and they Mm. um, there's another whole story there I think he's got four children now in fact so so it's a lovely you know it's lovely when you get those stories from people Um, and and I'd probably receive them you know well I receive them almost weekly you know a story of someone who's for whom the show's been significant in their faith journey in that way so Mm -hmm. so yeah it's 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 an amazing thing to be to be part of.
0: Mm No, it's fantastic. And um, I I think, yeah, as you named earlier, there's a lot of uh, folks who are, I think even maybe increasingly interested in apologetics or um, searching these deep questions they have within their hearts and um, are are seeking out, you know, (laughs) answers from the ages or from, you know, and from thinkers today. And, but I think for some, it can be quite intimidating, especially if you're, Mm. it, it, it can be seen as this intellectual feat or this ivory tower, um, quest, um, but would love to, you know, I, I know you've, you've written a book as well. Unbelievable. I, after 10 years of talking to atheists, I'm still a Christian. And so perhaps, you know, I, I, we're in my local church context, we do a how to share the faith, um, small group series, so to speak. And mm-hmm. we try and bring kind of, you know, it's not a comprehensive, you know, d- discussing what, you know, A through a- Z, but we try and bring a few things to help equip Um, Christians and uh, to be able to articulate the faith and wrestle with some maybe questions they haven't um, fully, you know, come to terms with or even in their own faith. And so just wanted to know, is there maybe a, you know, what would be a response to that? If folks who are interested and want to kind of take that next step but feel a little overwhelmed, what are maybe a few key questions and a few key answers that they can help to equip them?
1: Yeah, I I, I think in in some ways, for the folks who are kind of looking into it, maybe for the first time and, and wanting to, wondering, you know, what the next steps are, I, I think there are some great books out there. If they're a, kind of a book reader kind of person, mm. um, you know, I, I would still recommend a classic like *Mere Christianity* by C.S. Lewis as as a great way into mm-hmm. thinking through the reasons for the Christian faith. But there are also lots of other great, more contemporary books, you know, um, by people like Tim Keller, *The Reason mm-hmm. for God*, and they that might be a way in. And um, equally, you know, listening to The Unbelievable Show or, or other, you know, b- b- podcasts that have a kind of more of a foundational approach to Christian issues would be would be a helpful way in to to help them sort of to start to think through and sort through some of those those ideas. We we mm-hmm. just launched actually a, a kind of more kind of simpler, bite sized kind of podcast called Unapologetic. Um, and that's partly because Unbelievable tends to do those deep dive quite you know intellectual philosophical debates and discussions mm-hmm. unapologetic is a more sort of 20 minutes at a time discussion with a Christian thinker or evangelist or apologist where we just unpack some of the mm-hmm. the basics of Christian faith and the evidence for faith and so on and that that might be a good way good way in as well I mean we, we're blessed in many ways because mm-hmm. we live in a digital age where we have far more resources at our fingertips for this mm-hmm. kind of thing than we ever had before um, and, and there are some great, you know, some churches run some great introductory courses here in the UK. We have something called Alpha, which is quite popular, or mm. Christianity Explored. So mm. there's there's lots of ways in, I think. Um, we're, we're, we're spoiled for choice in, in many ways uh, in that way. But in the end, you know, yeah. ultimately, you can't forever, you know, always just be fed off, you know, anonymous resources, books and podcasts and things. It's important in the end to actually go to someone, perhaps some sort of, someone you trust as a wise (laughs) Christian pastor or someone who who you can actually talk these issues through with and, Mm -hmm. and, uh, find, hopefully find, you know, your way into a worshiping community because that's where Christianity becomes real in a sense. Mm -hmm. To some extent it can just exist in your head as a proposition up to that point, but it's only when you actually dive in and start exploring it in real life that I think you actually work out what it's really all about. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, uh, so... So I, I do meet a lot of listeners of the show who, who I think probably almost think that they can, they can get to Christianity by p- a purely rational, intellectual set of arguments. But it's hmm. only ever half, if that, of 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 the journey. It Christianity has to be lived out. It has mm-hmm. to be done in community with others. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and so I would never want someone to just just stop at that point and think they've done it if they've just sort of assented to a set of intellectual propositions. You sure. know. Um, so sure. so that's that's an important part of it too. Certainly.
0: Well, I think if we can, if you don't mind, we can dig into one particular topic just for a moment here. I think Mm. it certainly is um, very present in the United States. And I think we can make a case. It's been for a long time throughout history, but just this, I think this understanding of what is the place or what is the the foothold of the gospel in in the political world, in politics Mm -hmm. within the United States. And so it's funny, we was at a conference just a few weeks ago, and um, we were talking about there's, you know, I think Christians are engaging more, uh, or there's a movements and there's been movements of engaging in in social issues. And so one, for example, is the opioid crisis that is kind of plaguing, um, at least, you know, where we are in the United States. And mm. so there's ministries and outreaches that are going and, and loving and serving in compassion. Um, and so there was just a conference kind of around. There's around that. There's around incarceration, post-incarceration, and then there was this church school partnerships, right, of just different ways of kind of engaging these public social spaces to bring in kind of as you know salt and light, as uh, mm-hmm. the gospels would say. And so, but you hear some folks who are really excited to to be expressive in their faith, and sometimes at one end maybe even to forceful or coercive but on the other end i think you see some folks are like well we're not we don't live in a theocracy anymore and perhaps maybe a misconception of what truly a theocracy is or our role in in all of this and so it seems to be very you know people are confronted with this i think more recently um I yeah. wanted to know how that's been playing out in you know you have dialogued a lot with folks in the united states as well obviously where you're you're located contextually here in the yeah. uk
1: yeah and and i think i think a lot of uk christians do do look on slightly mystified almost by some of what's going on in the us and i think it's partly just down to the fact that you guys have a very different political and church background to to the uk so so things play out differently and obviously there's there's far more of you know there, there are far more christians in the, the us and there is in that sense more of a religious right in the us than there is in the uk so it makes a difference to the way you guys engage with your politics uh, inevitably. I think that, you know th- th- this is always going to be a really difficult one uh, mm. for a UK person to, to comment on. But just from where I'm standing and the kinds of conversations I've engaged in on this, mm. it feels to me like there there are kind of two essentially two perspectives that are in conflict at the moment in the mm. U- US about the way church and public life and politics should interact. Mm. Um, and you've got those who who I take a more sort of um, what you described, you know, that the church needs to, as far as it is salt and light in the culture, it it, it needs to be involved in those kinds of um, justice issues around poverty and incarceration and mm. you know opioid crisis and those sorts of things, where where the church can step up and 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 have this influence and and mm. bring hope and and so on. And in a sense, you know, I think people across the Christian spectrum will probably. Welcome that I think then where the the conflict comes is those who who as you say want um, more believe that in order to, to bring Christian virtues and values to bear they need they need more political power and that, that, that it's it's only really able to be done from a sort of top-down way mm. by grasping the the instruments of power at mm-hmm. a state level mm-hmm. and and then being able to influence policy. Um, and obviously that has happened to some extent you know when you look at something like Roe versus Wade being overturned that mm-hmm. that was a lot down to the fact that you know Donald Trump's election, which it has to be said you know a lot of conservative Christian evangelicals were you know helped to make happen and him then bringing in those conservative Supreme Court judges, arguably you know that was a victory for um those who who do see that that as being the way in which the church can influence culture influence mm-hmm. politics you know
0: mm-hmm.
1: um of course the danger is and and this is the other side of this discussion which i've had with many people on the show it, i speak to a lot of sort of deconstructed evangelicals and so on from the us sure. and and the pro- what's often turned them off has not merely been an intellectual issue sometimes there is there are intellectual issues but it's more frequently that they've been turned off by a particular way in which the church conducts itself the us and where they feel like mm. people you know it's it's trying to manipulate or you know play power games and politics and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. take over culture or whatever it is sure. and and it's that's seen as a negative thing so it's it's always going to be difficult to say where that that balance lies For personally i think wherever we can we obviously take our lead in this from the pages of the new testament and the reality is the church when it was at its most effective in the early church, it was a minority, it wasn't, it wasn't seeking political power, it wasn't seeking to make a change by becoming, you know, the brokers of power.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: There was an empire that it was part of, and it learned to live and to spread the message of Christ and transform culture within that wider power dynamic mm-hmm. without seeking necessarily to rise up and overthrow it or take power for mm-hmm, itself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that's an important lesson that, that actually the church is often at its most effective when it's actually essentially in the minority rather than trying to become a, a power player itself. And it's often when it is wedded to political power, you know, which did happen eventually, you know, when the Roman Empire converted and so mm-hmm. on, but that, that you yeah. often see some of the worst effects of what can happen, unfortunately, when, sure. when religious people gain political power, essentially. So I, I think you have to be very very careful about the way in which the church is allied to politics and power. There is always a place, I think, for the church in the public square. Uh, I think it's really important that Christians are engaged in politics and in policy and in um, you know issues around justice and everything in in culture. But it's it's when our sort of it's when we replace in a sense faith in the gospel in, in what Christianity can do. On an individual, personal level, with faith in a, you know, in in the instruments of politics and power, that I think, um, yeah, you know, that's yeah. when the, sure. the, the 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 corruption and the the problems can begin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that doesn't really answer give you know, any no, no. answer to how how Christians do it, but that's where I think I I do see the issues and, right. and perhaps a way in which we can start to look at what's most healthy, you know.
0: Right. Right. well no I think in the early church you see this this creative minority in in culture and so well you named it I think in the United Kingdom there's certainly a less of a Christian presence um, I, you know I don't know in terms of number of churches but maybe in those who would affirm belief in God or belief in the Christian faith and so what are you seeing kind of in the United Kingdom in terms of this as you're this flourishing perhaps within the Christian faith in a in kind of a more of a dominant secular culture
1: mm. yeah i mean that certainly you know in in the uk like many western countries christianity has been in in decline or church going i should say it's been in decline for decades um having you know sure. and we you know the uk is a product of a number of religious revivals that took place through various centuries mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um including in victorian times and in some ways i see the these these big movements happen and you know they saw a lot of churches created and planted and and really the the re-christianization of the UK has happened a few times over the centuries um but then through the 20th century you know what we saw was that that sort of becoming a kind of tradition and uh and not something vibrant and lived by right, subsequent right. generations and and I think though God always works through sort of you know this the coming and going of that tide, and that actually the story is not over by any mm-hmm. means, even though we're living now in a very arguably secular post-Christian culture, I still see lots of signs that Christianity is potentially bubbling away under the surface. Um Yes, a lot of churches have closed, and so there's been a, you know, there's a lot of less people going to church, but I also see parts of the church that are quite vibrant and growing. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. There are some types of church networks in the UK that... That are seeing a lot of fruit and sometimes things do have to die off before they can, can come sure, back sure. again and, and I, I do see a lot of green shoots of, of that happening in various ways. and I just meet a lot of people um, mm. I've written just written a book actually about this which is quite partly why I'm getting you know uh, on my soapbox about it but I do think that um, there is a I think people are, are tiring of the kind of materialistic worldview materialistic both in the consumeristic sense but also materialistic in the atheist sense mm-hmm. of the word because it hasn't delivered on its promises we haven't been given this utopia of free thinking rational thought that will solve all our problems sure. through science it's quite yeah. the opposite the more technology we have apparently the more miserable we make ourselves and sure. and i think there's a lot of interesting examples out there at the moment of secular thinkers actually who are reconsidering christian faith and whether the christian story that a lot of people have you know think is in the back window now could actually be the way in which we sort of pull culture together again because we live in a very polarized warring culture now in the west and i think it's partly because we have lost that binding narrative of what it means to be human through the christian story Mm -hmm. and i think there's a lot of people asking well maybe maybe we need to go back to the Bible. Maybe we need to hmm. reinvestigate this. So right. on my show there's been interesting people like Tom Holland who's a you know secular historian but wrote this book Dominion which is very much about the way the West is essentially uh, inherited all its values uh, such as human dignity and um, hmm. compassion and everything else from the Christian revolution that that uh, didn't come out of a sort of atheist enlightenment it's very much tied to the christian story and likewise you know other significant public thinkers like jordan peterson and douglas murray and jonathan Haidt and others who i think are are saying quite interesting similar things whether you're not you (laughs) like all of their cultural statements but the but there's this kind of a um I, i think it's it's an interesting indication that that christianity hasn't gone away well, faith hasn't gone away, I should say, hmm. because we're just putting our faith in different things. But the, those things eventually let us down and Christianity is still there and waiting. And And I think um, mm-hmm. my hope is, my prayer is that, that we, we may yet see a return to faith in, in our generation in, in the mm-hmm. UK. Mm-hmm. And, and who knows, you know, elsewhere as well in the world. There's, um,
0: I think I've heard this phrase several times and I wasn't sure if you've heard it as well, is that, you know, what's happening for us, even in Canada or even uh, in the United Kingdom or Europe is kind of, it's like our future in 10 years, almost this foreshadowing of what the United Mm. States cultural landscape, climate, you know, political, economic kind of worldview will inherit, so to speak. Has has that been something that's, you've come across?
1: Yeah. I've I've, I've frequently heard that, that, that we are a bit of a canary in the coal mine as it were for what could happen in the USA. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, it it does look, to all intents and purposes, like the U.S. and Canada is on a similar trajectory Mm -hmm, in -hmm. terms of the numbers who are now, you know, saying that they describe themselves as nuns, you know, having no religious affiliation. And uh, I I think, you know, in certain parts of the church in the U.S., you know, church going is holding fairly steady, but there's been a huge precipitous decline in certain denominations like the Episcopal Church and and others. So I think I think there's truth to that. Well, the the thing i wouldn't say is the same is is that it won't look exactly the same as the uk because the us and canada have a very different background in terms of the the way people engage church and politics mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. culture there um so so mm-hmm. i i mean whenever i visited the us for instance i've always been impressed at the way there's a very can do attitude among christians in the in the us there's a very sort of um the churches you know always looking for ways in which to be creative and dynamic, or at least the churches I've visited, have. And, um, right, right, and I right. always think actually there's um, there's maybe, uh, there's things we can learn from the US mm-hmm. church, there's mm-hmm. things the US church can learn from the UK, but we're, we're kind of two very different countries, even though we're right, joined right. by a common language, sure. um, and the way that things pan out in the U- US might be quite different, you know, to, to the UK, and you've got all the the other aspects of, you know, a Hispanic sort of, especially in the South sort of population that's, you know, where Christianity is to some extent, you know, booming among them as sure. well. So there's lots of different, you know, factors that would need to be put into that. And, and I wouldn't want to predict exactly where things right. are going to end up. I don't think they will end up exactly like they are here in the UK, because mm-hmm. I think there just is more of a... there's that just is more of a sort of church going sort of still culture and um mm-hmm. uh, a, a different dynamic in some ways in in the u.s church than there has been in in the uk church historically mm-hmm. 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 what are some of the you know we don't, we don't need to discuss them too much but just
0: some of the bigger i guess contemporary issues that um i don't know new atheists or really folks now who are more skeptical toward the gospel um what are some of the kind of the big topics big areas of concern um that i think perhaps as christians or just as in, in our kind of our just generally we need to engage and, yeah. and really think through and yeah. okay let's let's maybe spend some more time doing some research and just some um some unpacking of this these topics
1: yeah well i think i think that the con the, the questions that people are asking and the have changed quite a bit actually from when I started the show which was sort of at the you know just when new atheism was really taking off Mm -hmm. Richard Dawkins had written that book The God Delusion and Mm -hmm. other people like Christopher Hitchens and Sam Harris were publishing their atheist bestsellers and and at that time it was you know the the church needed to respond to that particular cultural phenomenon and and to a greater or lesser degree it did And, and we were trying to do that through the show and we you know we've held a lot of those debates between the new atheist types and and christians and and i think um to some extent there's been actually a really boom in christian apologetics that was kind of fueled by by that whole movement and sure and to some extent you know that's that's been good it's been good um that that i think i see more and more christians now who are somewhat more prepared for those kinds of questions and mm-hmm. objections you know the classic sort of does God exist type questions? Right, right, right. But but if I'm honest, I think those those questions have are less um significant now for, for most people, especially younger people. Mm-hmm. And I think they're asking far more questions about not whether Christianity is true, but, but whether it's good for us, whether it's uh you know, so so we live in a in an age when, you know, young people are especially concerned about justice, and if if they believe Christianity is harmful in some way, then that will be the reason they reject it, not necessarily because they don't believe Jesus rose from the dead or something like that. So I think those are the questions that Christians need to be prepared to answer. That's, that is an apologetic task to, to be mm-hmm. able to answer some of those questions about whether Christianity is good for culture or not. And those are where some of those, those discussions with people like Tom Holland sure, and others sure. are, are quite interesting in, in feeding into that. But I think the, the, you know, in the end, it's gonna be about more than just an apologetic sure. response to sure. those sorts of questions. It's it's got to be about the way the church actually presents itself mm. in the culture. And if it's seen as part of the problem, rightly sure. or wrongly, then it's very hard, you know, no amount of intellectual gymnastics will sort of change right, right. change people's perception if, if they just see the church as a sort of, I don't know, narrow minded or bigoted or hateful sure. kind of yeah. organisation. So I think I think, in the end, you know it, it's got to be about changing perceptions at a local level, so that when people meet Christians or engage with churches or Christian organizations they they have a positive experience that those people that while they may not share the same politics necessarily all the time they're they're people who honestly want to make a difference for good in the right. lives of those around them, you know
0: right. Right. No, it's true, I, especially coming in New England. And I think it's at least the United States, as you're as you were well aware, is an area perhaps of increased skepticism or increased distrust with mm-hmm. the institution of faith. Um, obviously, certainly a large Catholic presence um, or nominally Catholic, Irish Catholic yeah. or, you know, of the like in uh, in um, New England. But I often think myself and others is like, you know, what is the what is the first impression when, you know, when it's when our Christian identity or affirmation of the faith is heard or witnessed, right. And I think a lot of people have this certain baggage or this, you know, and and I think now it's particular, it's this Christianity is this power um, obsessed or potentially even oppressive faith. Mm. And here are the people who are associated with that. And then that's displayed out and, you know, it's the systematic level of how it then impacts all these Sectors of society as well, and so uh, yeah, I, I guess how you know what what have been some conversations in terms that we discussed this, I think, briefly as well. But um, how how are Christians to be able to respond or wrestle with um, our role of I think of power, the gospel as is it oppressive? Is it an oppressive gospel, or is there something else that we're perhaps missing for to see the to- the total picture here?
1: I I think I think it it is important for for Christians to ask themselves how they are coming across to in their culture. Um, I think the danger is always when Christians appear to to always be the ones telling culture what they shouldn't do or that they're backwards or immoral or whatever. Um, And to some extent, you know, it's yes. I mean, there's always going to be elements of culture which which don't um, don't segue with Christian values and, sure. and and so on. But I feel like the, the church needs to do a better job very often of, of showing what it's for rather mm. than what it's against. And I think that's where where you can cha- make a difference in the way you actually mm. engage someone in their, uh, and the way that they think about things. So as, as you said, I mean, if, if, if the church is, you know, concerned about abortion as it should be um you know i'm pro-life i believe that uh it's important to safeguard the lives of the most vulnerable mm-hmm. um but there's there are lots of different ways you can do that you can show that concern and there, if if the only way that the culture sees you doing that is by picketing you know abortion clinics or or whatever then the problem is that you will only ever be sort of seen as you know by the culture you know where where abortion is seen as you know uh, a right mm-hmm. as uh, a kind of oppressive kind of you know um moral you know moral indignation kind of force sure. if you can show though that actually you want to support women from you know across the board with uh, uh, so they don't have to make that awful choice uh in mm-hmm. ways where actually you can encourage uh you know in local communities different options for women and, uh, and families. And, and you can, you know, be working in kind of ways that actually yeah. increase the opportunity for, I, I just think there are other more creative ways of doing mm-hmm. it and and being the church. So it's about, it's not a, necessarily about changing, you know, the way the things we believe about that are important, but, but be, be looking a bit more like Jesus in the way we actually respond to them mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. for me, um, yeah, that that that's that that's that's an important part sure. of changing sure. the picture of what it looks like. You
0: know? Sure. And so you, you're obviously the host of um, the podcast Unbelievable, but also ask NT Wright anything as well. And so there's a lot of listeners here, you know, who are very familiar with NT Wright and, and um, enjoy hearing his works. And I think for myself and many others, Surprised by Hope is perhaps the first book of his kind of collection that has resonated or offered something fresh to to listeners and so i think for some time there was this maybe this hyper centrality of end times and of eschatology within the christian faith at least i think as it's been expressed um and then i think there's been this this kind of this shift often as, as it happens to the other is like well let's not worry about you know this um what's going to happen you know after after mm-hmm. after death and then, but I think that's a deeply important part of the you know the life, death, resurrection of Christ, and so certainly we should consider it as well. And so, um, just wanted to know after you know all these conversations and hearing N.T. Wright respond to um, you know the importance of uh, new heavens, new earth, new creation, mm. why is it something that we should consider or perhaps re to use you know recenter or bring back an emphasis into our. Um, into our lives, into yeah. our practice.
1: Yeah, well, I, I'm a huge fan, so I, I will play my show my bias here. But I'm a huge fan of N.T. Wright, and I think he's had a, a, an enormously influential effect on Christians when, in exactly this area, that thinking about um, eschatology and end times and that sort of thing. And I think he's, I think I would say he's had, you know, a, a, a very uh, very much an influence actually on a lot of people who perhaps grew up in that sort of Tim LaHaye um, left behind kind of um, the late great planet Earth sort of movement, which was very much interpreting everything, you know, in terms of um, Israel and rapture and end Mm -hmm. times and so on. And and this became, yeah, I I think it it, it obviously still does exist in various parts of the church, but it became Mm -hmm. a very much a focus of, Certain parts of evangelical Christian culture, mm-hmm. again, I think more an American movement than, than in other parts of the world. Um, it wasn't mm-hmm. so uh, such a big deal here in the UK, for instance. Mm. Um, though it did seep in, you know. There were, there, but I think um, you know, as Tom would himself would say, Tom Wright, the the problem with that theology is that it does tend to essentially treat it ends up making the gospel a kind of make sure you get to heaven and a raptured kind of theology rather than anything that really makes a difference on earth. And and that's the great danger with that type of way of looking at it is, is, you know, it turns the Christian gospel into a, you know, uh, what, what's the word for fire insurance and just making sure you're, you're saved and, uh, mm, and right. isn't too bothered about exactly what happens to everyone else or the rest of um, the rest of creation. Um, And I think Tom's re has just really helpfully for a lot of Christians, put the focus back on what the New Testament actually says, what the whole Bible actually says about this, that creation was created good. um, And that actually the gospel is much more holistic. It's about actually um, heaven and earth coming together, not us escaping from earth to a other spiritual dimension called heaven. Mm -hmm. It's about the way in which God will Bring bring it all back together, and that the launching mm. of the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ is about the first fruits seeing that kingdom um, in action in, in in this life, not not simply in another life somewhere else. Right. And uh, and for me, that's you know that's hugely important for mm-hmm. churches to to grasp, and I think many have have I think increasingly been grasping that. Because then it makes a huge difference about the way we treat our neighbor now, the kinds of issues and causes right. that we apply ourselves to because we're, we're joining with Jesus in, in making a difference now, um, which yes, will ultimately right. be fulfilled in him and his return, but it's not a return to take us away somewhere. It's a return to, to bring everything to its fullness in the earth. And, and we're called to be part of that. Um, so I think, uh, I think this move away from this kind of escapist kind of theology to a much to what is actually there in the new testament i think um which is this this heaven and earth theology is 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 very welcome and much needed um sadly still not not the focus of of certain parts of the church you know um where there is much more of a kind of get to heaven type of mentality Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's not that that isn't important you know i do believe that you know being you know having your sins forgiven by Jesus right. and being safe you know and being counted as uh, in Christ is an important part of what it means but it's not mm-hmm. that's not like I was saying earlier it's not something it's not an individualistic kind of thing it's it's something that actually is meant to affect the whole of humanity it's something that if it happens to you it's it mean, it changes the way you engage with the world around you um, you don't just get into a holy huddle and wait for Jesus to come back. So Mm -hmm, so, uh, yeah, I I think that's that's been good and it's been um, an important corrective. And mm -hmm. um, I'm very glad to see I I just see far less of that sort of very sort of um, dispensational um, rapture style stuff going around these days. It just seems it does seem to have faded away. And and I'm very glad to see in its place for a lot of people, at least uh, this this sort of heaven and earth. Theology that that Tom has obviously been uh, at the forefront of has has, right, has right. started to replace it in many areas. Right. No, I, was, I think that's it. it's kingdom
0: coming on heaven as it is in earth as you read in Matthew mm. six and that's the you know Lord's prayer and is it if what is yet to come can kind of impact and collide with here then mm. I think it's it's. It's a drastically, you know, affirming view of creation. Not, you know, not the sense to mm. worship creation, but in a sense that it is part of, you know, Gen- Genesis one as well. Um, and to consider that, and I think, yeah, as he's named this, perhaps even this modern-day uh, Gnosticism of viewing the, the material things um, as perhaps less important, or the world around us as less important. But I think it's it just diminishes. I think God's power and sovereignty over overall as well and so anyways so thank you it's um it's been a fascinating time and conversation thanks for for sharing some of your oh, your thoughts and um, as dessert. well as well as uh, some of the work you do but just would love to leave listeners where they can get more resources um perhaps a few you know if you, your resources or anything else that you think would be fruitful yeah, for them absolutely
1: <laughs> yeah um you you can go to premierunbelievable.com unbelievable.com uh, mm-hmm. as a good place to to find all of our resources from The Unbelievable Show, the Ask Your Anything podcast, um, our other podcast videos and articles, they're all available from there, premierunbelievable.com. The book you referenced um, is also available there if you you click through to the kind of the shop area of the thing. And that Mm -hmm. was my book, um, uh, Unbelievable. Why After 10 Years of Talking with Atheists I'm Still a Christian?, the other one i referenced the book um isn't yet published so so i've mm. sent the manuscript off but that that'll that'll be appearing in in summer next year so so uh yeah so we're um that's that's those are the main ways though but premier unbelievable.com is, is sure. a good place to go for all of that
0: thank you. Do, you do you care to share the perhaps not the title but the topic or the general area that you're going to be yeah, wrestling I, I, with i'm happy
1: to share the title actually oh, okay it's, it's going to be called the surprising rebirth of belief in god and as I say, it's it's really at its core is this idea that the conversation has moved on from the new atheism and the sure. objections that they put forward. Sure. And there's a new conversation around God and culture and faith sure. from some interesting secular thinkers like Jordan Peterson Same. and Tom Holland yep. and Douglas Murray and others that I mentioned. Um, and, and, I, and I think we may be standing on the shore of, you know, seeing the tide come back in on faith. Um, I, sure. I start the whole book referencing that famous Matthew Arnold poem, Dover Beach, where he talks about the mm-hmm. melancholy, long withdrawing roar of the sea of faith. And the sea of faith has receded, you know, in the West. Mm-hmm. But as Douglas Murray once said to me in a conversation, tides come back in and mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. we're ready sure. to see the tide come back in. Um, um, so so that's sort of the the premise of the book, sure. really.
0: Well, fantastic. Look, uh, looking forward to, to, to reading it and, you know, uh, uh, once it's released, excited for for listeners to to uh, I guess be excited about that
1: as well. So, yeah,
0: thank you, thank well, you, ma- Justin. Maybe
1: once it's out, I'll I'll come back on and we can have another conversation. Sounds good to me. All right, thanks, Justin. Thanks for having me.
0: Yes, sir.